This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Oh my God, Taylor, I cannot believe that you were available on Christmas Eve to record this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it either. <laughs> we are recording this on December 5th, so don't feel bad for us for recording uh podcast on Christmas Eve, but we thank you for listening on Christmas Eve or soon after, and we wish you a wonderful Christmas season, holiday season, and hope you get everything your heart desires. Love, warmth, laughter, health, sanity, you know, big people gifts. And a copy of Liar's Legacy. See, that that would be a me gift, and that would make me really happy, but it'd be a you gift too. Because this is the Liar's Legacy episode. Uh, we finally get to talk about it. Yeah, we, we finally get to talk about it in some detail and not just about kicking writing in the butt with how, how this story kicked your butt in, in terms of writing it. So let's um, – for people who have read the first book – how about for uh, people who haven't read any of them? All right. So let's, let's do that. So for people who haven't read any of those, little backstory on the primary characters. Okay, so the Liar series is different than the Vanessa Michael Monroe series. Um, right now, this will be book two in it. And the idea started really as just with nothing. And it was a case of how, thinking about how in mainstream fiction, women's fiction, we get a lot of exploration of family of dynamics, you know, the dysfunctional families, people returning home to confront their demons and the family secrets and all that kind of stuff. But you really don't get that much in thrillers. If you see family in thrillers, it's usually as a plot device or something to keep the main character grounded. So if there's a child involved, God forbid, it's probably, you know, there's some, there's some, you're, you're worried for the kid or it's the humanity of the guy or the, the mom. She has a kid, um, single parents, you know, trying to be good parents, all that. You'll see that, but you don't really see the focus on the family dysfunction. That people have come from dysfunctional backgrounds, but that's not the focus. And that's like, well, what would happen if you took that same family dysfunction, the exploration of family dysfunction, and you put it in a thriller where you have a dysfunctional family, but they're all assassins and everybody's capable of killing each other and often wants to. What then? And that's kind of how Liar's Paradox was born. And you know, having to build out, like, where would they have come from? What what would this have been like? You know, and it took me several false starts, but that's, Liar's Paradox is sort of what sets the scene for that. You don't have to have read that book first to enjoy Liar's Legacy. I try really, really, really hard to make sure there's enough information included in each book so that the plot as it stands makes sense. But because these kids, they're 26, twins, Jack and Joe, um, because their background is so unique, they were raised basically on the run by a paranoid delusional mother. 
um, who is former CIA, who believes that at any given time, someone is coming for them. It never really defines who the them is. Um, and they grow up thinking that she's crazy. And then they're very estranged from her. They don't trust her, but she's their mom. She's all they have. They don't have friends. They don't have the same connections. They've, they've, they're estranged from life, and they're just trying to, to be normal. And they get this call from mom, and they show up at her house, and her house blows up. And this is not a spoiler because it's within the first couple chapters of um, Larry's Paradox. And they realize that, and mom is missing, and they realize that either she's been telling the truth or she did this herself. And they're not sure which one of those is worse. And thus begins the Odyssey. And so Liar's Legacy carries, picks up exactly where Liar's Paradox left off. The characters, the main characters are the, the two twins, Jack and Jill, not their real names, and, their, and the mother, Claire. And we explore how they became, who they became, and why, and all the history, and everything that's in there. And um, new characters are introduced. People who've tried to kill them are introduced, who now aren't trying to kill them. <laughs> and, it, and it just keeps going. And they're very, 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 very convoluted, twisty, super complex stories. And trying to get that complexity onto the page in a way that it reads like, yeah, this makes sense. Even if you don't always know what's going on, you just kind of buckle up and sit back for the ride. It'll all make sense by the end. Um, but trying to get it to where it does all make sense by the end <laughs> uh, on the page and not just in my head. So, so freaking difficult. Um, biggest challenge I've ever had in my life. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking when I took <laughs> on Liar's, Liar's Legacy. That story is so complex it probably never should have been novelized in the first place. It's more like it's so complex you would need a movie because movie lets you jump around and show everything just in quick flashes. But here we have it, and I did write it, and so now it's coming out, and wow. And how much of your life have you put into just this one book? Like time-wise? Yeah, or, like, um, like six months writing it, nine months writing it. I mean, God, this one was like two years, wasn't it? Like, because I overshot my deadline by six months and I had a very, very padded uh, space on the front because there was going to be a long gap because I'd already finished Liar's Paradox by the time I got the contract. So it was just like, all I had to do was write this book. And I thought, piece of cake. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, I would say two years. Okay. So one of the things that I remember so clearly from the first book is just the way you develop the characters as as real people. And we talk about this all the time, and, and there's a lot of craft that goes into this, but they're so multidimensional that I found myself as a reader, it's like, okay, I like Jack more than I like Jill. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, I like Jill more than I like Jack. And then it's like, I like Holden better than these people. They're crazy. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> and then it's... <laughs> It, it just kept going back and forth like that, where there was not like this thing where you go, okay, uh, Jack went over and petted the dog, so I like him. And, you know, it just kind of goes on from there. The, the characters kept evolving, and we kept learning more about them as the story went on. And some of what we learned was kind of surprising, kind of horrific, kind of 
oh my gosh. And so from an emotional level, as a reader, I found myself with a lot of ebbs and flows in terms of, of my bonding with the characters, but in terms of bonding with the story, I just had to keep reading to find out what was going to happen next. So, yes, this, that is one of the downsides of doing it this way is um, some readers do get frustrated because they do identify more with one character and then they just want to stick with that character's point of view. And then because the, the, we do get we move from character to character, the story, the, the, nothing gets repeated. But the but, you know, because the story is continually lurching forward, it's lurching forward through different points of view. It's like winding like a. Um, you know, when they ski down the mountain, the slalom race, right? And so um, it, it, it can be off-putting to some readers in that because of that, they don't, they, they, they don't like the multiple, pers- the multiple jumps in, in point of view, but there's no other way to tell a story like this. Absolutely none. You just can't. It's too complex. It's in too, too many different places. And the only way to do it is through those multiple points of view. Um, the, another thing that you'll hear, pe- people, readers, some readers really do not like it when they don't understand what's going on right away and they feel lost. And I apologize, but the characters don't know what's going on either. So there's no way to tell the reader. The reader can only know what the characters know and the characters don't know. So, you know, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, there. <laughs> I find myself like with this, with Liar's Legacy, I actually, my favorite character is a new character that's been introduced. And, um, really, I like, yeah, in this particular story, I like that character the best and, and another, and you'll know once you read it, I don't want to say the name right now, but once you read it, you'll know. And then, um, like a lot of people, I see, I only really know how readers are reacting to these books based on either comments that I'm told directly through email or by reviews that I read online. I, I don't, I can't read people's minds. So if people don't communicate with me, I just, I just have no way of knowing. And so reviews really are my biggest, um, my biggest gauge. And I, I tend to, I guess, focus in more on the reviews from people that I don't know. And it's not that I don't appreciate, like I need, I crave the reviews from the fans because like, I need that attaboy. I need to know that I'm meeting expectations. But I also know that many of the fans just, they just love me. And I'm sometimes afraid of being, having a false sense of reality of what's working and what's not working. So if all I'm hearing is this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome, um, then I don't know if, I sh- if I'm safe, if I'm safe to believe that. But then if one of those same, same fans says, I didn't like this. Then I just fall apart because, oh, my God, I, I failed to meet their <laughs> expectations. So the safe the safe ones to review are the ones people I don't know, because, like, I can't feel like I didn't fail to meet their expectations. I don't know what those expectations expectations were in, at the first at the beginning. Right. So with with those through those reviews, I start to learn what's working and what's not working. And that's how I realize that people really hate getting lost, like not knowing what's going on. And I'm like, sorry. And then the the jumping around from character to character. And I'm like, sorry, but, um, and it's just really interesting to me to see which characters readers are identify with those who, uh, those who are able to keep pace with my storytelling. Like I don't spend a lot of time going into pages or paragraphs of character development that is all done 
through inner dialogue, on the move, while in motion, or through uh, interaction. Because I don't have that space on the page to just really go into all this, you know, I guess I call it navel gazing, but I don't mean it disrespectfully. And so a lot of times the earliest reviews are coming in from people who are not familiar with my work, who've never read any of my books. And they're just like, there's just no character development in here. And then I'm, sometimes I'm just like, oh, God, OK, whatever. You know, but I don't get my feelings hurt because I know that they're just not used oh, to see, reading. And I would I would completely disagree with anybody who said that. I, it, in my well, mind, so I. <laughs> there, there are all of these richly developed characters. And, and that's what I was getting at with the with sort of the the ebbing and flowing emotionally is like. We'd be with this character for a while, and by the end, it's like, oh, I love this character. I want to stay with this character. And then we'd be to the, to the next character, and then it would this development would start all over again, where it's like, okay, by the end, it's like, oh, I, I want to stay with this character longer. And then we'd be with another character. And it was the same thing. So there was always this – it pulls you forward because you want you, – A, you want to see what's happening in the story. You want to know what's happening in the story. But you also want to get back to this character. And when there are multiple characters that you – that you want to get back to. There's just a lot of drive to get you to continue to turning the page. Uh, thank you, I guess. <laughs> Yay. Um, oh, I was going to, I had a thought and now I dropped off. And so right, I want to, I want to go to something else. We had, we okay. had talked, uh, I think we did an episode and I, I apologize. I don't know the number of, of the episode where we were talking about making the bad guy likable or something, something to yeah. that effect. And there is a character in the first book, and I don't want to get into who or what, but 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 there's a character who is portrayed very negatively, but by the end of the first book, in in getting to know this character more, it's like, wow, this character might be my favorite character in the book. And it was just fascinating to me the way that evolved, and it wasn't through some simple technique like having them pet the dog or something like that. <laughs> it was this deep dive into what made that person the way they were. Yes, and I know who you're talking about. And so that also, um, the readers who get it, I love them. Some readers are like, I didn't know who to root for in this book. They're all bad and they're all good. And I'm like, exactly. That's, aren't you tired of the same thing? Good guy is, you know, same good guy all the time. And, you know, the bad guy is the same bad guy. But what if, what if the good guys and the bad guys are the same people, you know? And, and that's what family dysfunction is. Everybody in these stories is, is, is a human being and they're dysfunctional and you're not there for, oh my God, we're going to, you know, we're going to go kick some terroristic ass. Not like there's anything bad with that, but it's just, that's not what these stories are. These stories are buckle up. Let's go on a roller coaster ride and have some fun. And I also, if, if you heard when we first, when we talked about um, Liar's Paradox after it, after it came out, I listened to the audio version and absolutely adored the performance. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it again. But there are lots of ways of consuming this material. I read the book and then listened to the audio book and enjoyed, enjoyed both of them. And it, occur it occurs to me that we are – this show is going out on Christmas Eve, and everyone has had that experience where you go to someone's house on, on Christmas Day, and someone gives you a gift, and you didn't expect them to give you a gift, and you don't have anything for them. 
So you can go online <laughs> and order a copy of Liar's Legacy and have it shipped to them, and they'll get it like the day the after Christmas. Week. The day after well, Christmas. Well, it depends it on where you release, order it. Yes. Doesn't really oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, until 31st of December. But you could get them Liar's Paradox yeah. and get them keyed up for Liar's Legacy. That's true. That's, that's <laughs> even better. But the whole idea of, yes, I got you something. But it doesn't release until the 31st, sort of absolves you of... Uh, totally. Yeah. So I, I kind of like that idea. And for people who are doing a, a, who are going to be traveling back from the holidays, long drive, great time to listen to an audiobook. And if you haven't listened to Liar's Paradox, then I would suggest that you start with that and then just morph into Liar's Legacy if you're really driving a long way because that would be like a cross-country drive. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> 15 hours. It'll, right? make, it'll make the miles that much, that much more fun. I listen to audiobooks a lot when I'm running, and I am, I'm training for a long run, and so there's a lot of listening involved, and I can't wait to get the audiobook for, for, for the new one and, and start on that because that – takes away the pain when you have a great story and you're concentrating on the story you forget how far you've run and how bad your legs hurt <laughs> i wish <laughs> <laughs> all right so taylor who's your favorite character do you have well, a favorite in, in this book in this book it's the new character that's introduced i think in the first book um it would have been uh Oh, is it yeah, I think it would have been the one that you were talking about that starts off like okay. All right. and they and they have the change. But um it's not that I don't like Jack or Jill or Claire. It's just that for me as the author, it's a lot of work <laughs> to create those characters. And I spend a lot of time with them. And I guess that's partly the reason why I enjoy this new character in the new book so much is because they are new. And um, so I get to start from scratch and it's, it's interesting. It's, it's more fun and interesting for me as an author, um, which is interesting because I don't, I don't run into that problem writing Monroe, but she's kind of unique. Um, and, and I think they, these characters really push me as an author to my max. Um, I don't have a problem with their squabbling, like some people really get irritated with the way that they're constantly at odds with each other. But if you've lived with family dysfunction, you just kind of recognize that for what it is. And um, I don't know, it, it doesn't feel bothersome. I'm surprised sometimes that people have such a hard time with it. There are readers, not not most, but some readers have a hard time with their, their not loving relationship with each other. Um, it was shocking to me. I did not expect that at all. But it, it can be a bit difficult and challenging to keep up that pace with them. Like, they're so intense. And and to never let that drop, there's no rest. Um, and so I think for that reason, it's hard for me to be like, oh, I love these characters because they're mean to me <laughs> and they make me work really hard. <laughs> well, I you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the difference between book one and book two, and I have not read book two yet. But in, in book one, you had to create a valid reason that these 
young people had the skills that they had. And you know, yeah. we've talked about this before, the idea that, well, you could have just made them Navy SEALs or something, and then it's boom, it's, it's done. But you, did, you chose not to go down that path. You, you created a legitimate reason and convinced the readers that, that it was possible. And there was a lot of work that went into that, a lot of planning and work that went into that that you, didn't, you won't have to do with the second book, or you didn't have to do with the second book. But you still do kind of, because you have to face each book like it's the first book that somebody's picking up. And so it's actually more challenging. Okay. Because you can't repeat the same stories. You can't repeat the same information. You have to create the same atmosphere and the same understanding um, that gives it a sense of realism, but you can't double up, because it, then it's boring for the mm-hmm. repeat readers. So it actually, with every book, it actually gets harder. And I think that's part of what I'm up against, too, right now. I'm trying to, to, to go back to old material for Monroe, and it's really hard because with this many books in and it being this much of a gap since the last one, it's like reintroducing a character, introducing a character for the first time, but not. So the further you get into the series, the harder it is to establish who they are and why and with Jack and Jill, it that that's like taken to the extreme because their life is so extreme. You can't just summarize it in a paragraph. You know, you've got to actually give instances and stories and bring those stories to life and and make them part of the plot. They can't they have to serve a purpose to the actual plot and the story. And it's incredibly challenging. All right. And you, of course, are known for international boots on the ground thrillers, which these are. It, it was it was there a particular location that you had the most fun with in this book? Oh, that's a good question. Yes. Yes. And it has to do with how much fun it is to convey the research that you've learned or the utilizing the situation in story form. And that is a scene where um, some characters have to sneak across the U.S. border into the United States, the southern border. Oh, that sounds like fun. So that was my favorite location to work with for Liar's Legacy. There's a lot of locations in this, a lot of locations in this book. And one of the things that surprised me, there's very few reviews up online. So I have very little reader feedback to go on here. But even with that much, that little available right now, I'm starting to see some themes. And there it's a surprising theme to me. And that is of the technology and spycraft that is included in this story. Um, the level of detail that goes into utilizing knowledge of evasion techniques or um, understanding how technology works and using that technology to their advantage and stuff like that, the, actually showing it, not just like, and here they are now in the United States with all the guns they could ever need, you know, that type of stuff. It's, it, it's like, really, how did they do it? Uh, but without bogging down the story. And, and that was surprising to me because as I was writing this, I guess because I've done so much, I, I read so much in the interim, I follow people in these interest industries that it did not seem to me that I was including a lot of that. It just seemed to me that I was working with what is. But apparently, 
based on the very minimal feedback that I've had so far, that's not so common in books like this. It's a lot of that gets skipped over. And, and that surprised me because to me, this just seemed, this is how you do it. And to me, that's one of the hallmarks of your writing. There are always, every book, there's something that I come away from. There's some scene that I wind up reading a half dozen times because I didn't understand that something could possibly work that way or that, that there was something like that. And that's, it makes it really fun for, for readers to, to uncover those things. Well, I really hope that um, readers enjoy this book. It's, it's a little bit hard. I have very, very mixed feelings about this one because it was so hard for me to write. And I had, uh, just getting the story down, I did not have the time I needed to go back and clean it up the way that I wanted to. So story-wise, it is the story that I wanted to write. Writing-wise, uh, the, the level of clarity sometimes in the sentences, there are a lot of things I would have done differently. I would have spent time fixing, and I couldn't. I, I simply couldn't. So I, I have a sense of pride, and I have a sense of shame at the same time. <laughs> I'm really, really proud that I was able to pull this story off. I honestly think there are but a handful of thriller writers in the world today who could have done this. A very small number of people who could have done this um, story-wise. Uh, we were talking in recent podcast about how uh, sometimes figuring out the structure of the story and where to set the scenes and through, who, through whose eyes to show them can sometimes be harder than writing the story itself. And in this particular book, that was a massive, massive challenge because of the complexity involved and, and trying to make it fit together. It is, it is a very, very tight puzzle. And I, I'm very proud of myself for that accomplishment of being able to do it, but maybe not so proud <laughs> of uh, how maybe it's not as polished in the words used as I normally would be. And so that part I'm a little embarrassed about, but you know, I, it is what it is. I, I did what I could do. And one thing that occurred to me, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, is that in life, the things that we choose to consume, whether it be food or movies or books or what we do with our leisure time, it says something about us and it also tells the world something about what it is that we're consuming. And and that is that we value this kind of food, this kind of movie, this kind of book, this kind of car, whatever it is. And if, if you're going to spend your money at, you know, at fast food restaurants, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have the opportunity to go to better restaurants and support people who are providing really good food and, and maybe supporting a local community and, and, you know, just doing a lot of good in the world as opposed to just making money, that's a valuable thing that you can do as a consumer. And I look back over the last several years and, and my relationship with Taylor that comes from just being a total fanboy and begging her to come on to a <laughs> podcast of mine years ago. Is, that is how it started. <laughs> it is. It totally is. And it really was begging. And uh, he I, did. It didn't sound like he was very polite, but I never got begging. It, it, it was him. begging. It was begging from my <laughs> end. 
But, you know, it has been a pleasure and an honor to be able to support her work as a reader and as someone who works with her on this podcast. And it, it's just, you know, I, I don't want to go off the deep end here. But Please, I, by all means, go off the deep end. <laughs> I feel, I feel that it's a great thing for me to do to buy this book, to give this book as a gift because I'm supporting what I think is valuable. And if you feel the same way, um, it, it is a great opportunity to show people, um, you know, what's important to you. And if quality writing is important to you and quality storytelling is important to you, and it is because you're listening to this podcast, um, you know, buying copies of this book and, and, and giving them to friends, there's nothing better that you can do. Or, or copies of the first book and giving them to friends so that they can be exposed to this kind of work. And, you know, maybe it's not for everybody, but for you give these books to the right people and their brains are just going to light up and they're going to love them. And, um, and you know, I will it, love you. It is a great way for us to thank Taylor for all the work that she has put into this podcast over the course of the last... 200 and some episodes and you know that that she will continue to do and you know there are there are of course other ways to support her work uh patreon being one of them but at this time when an author releases a book the single best thing you can do is to buy the book call your library say you would like to get the book at your library if you get the book review it wherever you bought it just write a review it doesn't have to be a long review just write a review because that helps and it helps to show the world that there are people out there that value this kind of work thank you Thank you very much, Steve. I really appreciate that. And with that being said, that is the end of our Liar's Legacy episode. And it's still, in theory, Christmas Eve, Taylor. I know, but by the time the next podcast comes, I don't know if we're going to have one on New Year's Eve or not. But if we do, by the time the next podcast hits... Liar's Legacy will be out in the world. <laughs> and we are excited about that. Congratulations on the release of this book. I know how much work it is. We all know how much. Well, actually, we don't. We, we've heard you talk about it, but because we weren't in the trenches with you grinding through the work that was involved in putting all this together, we don't really know. But we can all appreciate the fruits of that labor. Thank you. All right, and thank you guys very much for listening. It's if we don't talk to you on New Year's Eve, and there's probably a good chance that we won't, uh, it, it has been a pleasure uh, being in your ear over the course of the last year, and we look forward to doing it again next year. And we'll see you on the other side. <laughs>